0: So this is what we did last night. We talked about the Old Testament, uh, theophanies, and we talked about Job and Moses and Balaam and Joshua and Gideon and Manoah and David and Elijah. But today we're talking about, if you could see it in the bottom right, the all-inclusive chronology of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Think we can do that in an hour and a half? I don't think so, because you see over there, John 21 says, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. But we're going to be doing the pre-resurrection, not Christophanies, the appearances of Christ, but the actual presence of Christ. And this is the outline. We're going to begin with Christmas, right? Christmas in July. We'll talk about Christmas. Christmas. And then, the devil made me do it. What time is it? That's a miracle. And the Lord meets the Lord. That's the outline for tonight. So here we are, and I'm going to start with this little song, The Little Town of Bethlehem. And I want to sink my teeth in that one phrase that says, Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. What's the everlasting light? Jesus Christ, that's right. So there's the baby in the manger, and it wasn't the star that was the light, it was the baby that was the light. He was the light that said, let there be light. And there was morning and evening, and God said it was good. He was the light in the burning bush. He said, you tell him, I am sent you. He was the light in the Hebrews' pillar of fire that protected them, and then they gave them light at night. And protected them with a cloud in the day. He was the light that was in Sinai's lightning. Remember the thunder and the lightning and the earthquakes and the smoke. And the ground trembled. He was the Shekinah glory. In the tabernacle and in the temple. And when Moses went in to speak with the Lord. He came out and the Bible says his face shone like an angel. So he had to go put some curtains on. Because the people couldn't look at his glory. This is the light that we're talking about. However, there's a veil, not on Moses' face right now, but on the face of the Jewish nation. The Bible says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. We talked about the Christophanies, which were the appearances of Christ, and now we're going to talk about Christmas. You never really thought, I'm guessing, of where the word Christmas came from. Well, there's some controversy because the Catholics want to twist it a little bit because they have the M-A-S-S. But if you go all the way back, Christmas starts from Christ, Christ, and the Latin word missae, which means to send. Christ sent. Advent, vent means to come, and ad means to, Ad advent coming to us, and then Christ sent. That's what we're going to start studying about here, okay? We're talking about the everlasting light. Though in thy dark street shineth that everlasting light. In the beginning, and we saw this verse a couple of times earlier this week. Yes, Willie? Okay, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, that without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. Remember when Moses went in front of Pharaoh? Moses throws down his stick, and it becomes a snake, and Pharaoh's magicians throw down their sticks, and they become snakes, and Moses turns water into blood, and the, and the magicians turn water into blood, and then Moses turns dust into nets. And the, mag- the magician say, man cannot create life. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And that light shines into the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. In thy dark streets. This is the verdict. We're John 3.19. We're not 3.16. We're not 317. John 317, he came out into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world, world might be saved. But here's John 19. This is the verdict. Light came into the world. We just saw that. He was the light that shines in the darkness. Light came into the world, but the people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil, we're now down the bottom. See, the hopes and fears of all the years. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear. For fear that their deeds will be exposed. Jesus Christ came to this world to shine the light. He said, I'm the light of the world. We'll get to that if the clock behaves itself. He said, I am the light of the world. He came to shine the light on sin the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight people have feared people have that deeds have been evil since Cain and I'll go back since Adam and Eve and we're going to get to the devil made me do it but now we're going to talk about the hopes of all the years are met in thee tonight. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Okay. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But we're going to talk about the hopes of all the years. Are met in thee tonight. So the the patriarchs had they were commended for that. By faith, Abel sacrificed the lamb in faith. Why wasn't Cain's vegetable offering acceptable? He wasn't able. He didn't have the faith, okay? By faith, Abel sacrificed. By faith, Enoch walked with God to the point where Enoch wasn't walking with mankind anymore. By faith, Noah built a boat. And he didn't have faith alone, but Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Mrs. Noah, and Mrs. Ham, and Mrs. uh, Japheth, they all had faith to get in that boat. King James says, Come into the boat. NIV says, go into the boat. And then the Lord shut the boat. It never rained before. They, the, the place was watered with a mist. They had faith. Noah built the boat. Abraham left his hometown and his family to live in tents. He was a pagan. He, had, he was an idol worshiper. He picked up Sarah, Sarai at the time. He picked up Lot. He picked up the rest of the family. They went up to Ur, uh to, to Haran. Wait, waited there for a while and finally he came down into Israel by faith Sarah bore Isaac she laughed at the Lord when the Lord said you're going to have a baby and so Isaac's name means laughter by faith and hope the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight by faith Abraham offered Isaac now, here's an interesting point right here. In chapter 22 of Genesis is the first time that the word love and the word worship are mentioned in the Bible. Now, what is the, the, the um, construct of first mention? What's important about being first mentioned? It carries itself throughout the scripture. So when you see that word love first mentioned, what kind of love did Abraham have when they say love? He loved God so much he was going to sacrifice his son. For God so loved the world that he gave, sacrificed his only son. And then we have that word worship. That was the first time it was uh, in the scripture, the word worship. Now when we say we have worship... Somehow, in today's talk, that translates into a song service. But if you study worship, it's more than song. It's everything we do. Now, when Abraham was raising that knife, he was giving everything he got. Not just everything you do, everything he got. He said, if I don't have a son... Everything I own is going to go to my servant Eliezer. He didn't care about his sheep and his donkeys and his camels and his servants and his gold and his silver. He had his son. What does God have? The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What was the only thing that really mattered to him? His son. So when we see that word love and that word worship, we need to think about Abraham. He gave, he was willing to give everything he got. Okay, so that was his hope was met. He gave all. Moses was protected for three months and then the Nile. Can you imagine big sis Miriam Mom says the baby was three months old. They kept the baby for three months, and then I guess it was too loud, and soldiers are marching back and forth, and they can't keep the baby quiet. So Mom says, King James says, she took an ark, a basket, and wiped it with pitch on the inside and the outside. And then they said, Miriam, I want you to take this baby down into the Nile, and when the crocodiles come... (laughs) They didn't mention the crocodiles, but they're in the Nile. <laughs> By faith, Miriam got into that water with the rushes or wherever she was. And the baby started squeaking. And the crocodiles didn't find that baby. Pharaoh's daughter found that baby. By faith, Joshua saw the walls come down. Joshua saw the conquest of the entire land. And when the whole thing was done, he said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. By faith, women receive back their dead. Now, okay, so Miriam had the baby in the bulrushes. How about the mom whose son had died? That's a whole league different. We're going to talk about the miracles of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Jesus heals the leper, just as an example. That's a whole league different from raising a Lazarus. But there you see, those letters are there to help me. There's Elijah's miracle, and Elisha's miracle, and there's J for Jairus, and there's a Mrs. Jairus too. It simply says Jairus, his father and the mother. And there's Mary and Martha with Lazarus. I'll tell you who we're going to receive someday. I'm to the point now I know more people on the other side of the grave than this side of the grave and we're going to receive each other. There's an old song that says, I'll meet you in the morning on the bright other side. So by faith, all these things happened while others were going to continue on in Hebrews 11, while others were flogged and tortured and imprisoned and stoned to death. Tradition says it was the Bible in the Hebrews 11 says some were sawn asunder. The Bible, the the tradition says it was Isaiah that got cut in half. The hopes and fears of all the years on that indeed tonight. So these are all the guys that Hebrews 11, the, the Hall of Faith, talks about. You want to please them. Not just the baby, we're talking about Christmas. You want to please the Alpha and the Omega? This is coming from Hebrews also. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Knowing that He is is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Okay, I want to please Him. It says by faith I'm going to please Him. So how do I do that? Romans 12. Be not conformed to good pleasing, and perfect will of God. How do you want to please him? First of all, by faith. And then second of all, the renewing of our minds. I think it was Sunday school I mentioned. I get 45 minutes of a class's mind. The pastor gets another 45 minutes of the the congregation's mind. But what gets the other 166 and a half hours in the week? the world. We have to be not conformed to the world, but we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we're going to be conformed to the image of his dear son. Now that can happen one of two ways. If we're doing the Romans twelve two thing, where by faith we're wanting to transform our mind, the transition from... Corruptible John to incorruptible John is not as drastic. But if I'm going to live for the world, there's going to be a drastic change when I go from corruption to incorruption. Because instead of receiving a crown, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 3, I'll be saved as if by fire. I'll have no crown. I'll have a robe of righteousness because it's not my right. It's my robe, but it's not my righteousness. Righteousness. Isaiah says all of our righteousness is ours, filthy rags. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But what really happened on Christmas? I don't want to say shepherds and magi and the star and the angels. That's not what we're talking about here. What really happened at Christmas? Who, meaning Jesus, Being in very nature God. He wasn't in very nature God. He was and is God. But his nature was spirit. When Jesus the man said to the woman at the well. God is spirit. And we that worship him. must worship him in spirit and in truth. He was talking about the God side of God man. So. Jesus. Is God. So. He did not consider the equality equality with God. Now we're talking about the Father. Here's God the Son, grand potentate, and I don't want to cheapen his position, but that's the only thing that came into my head. At the Father's right hand, grand potentate number two. And the King James says that that posture was not something that he was grasping onto. It's something like, like a death grip. He, he, he can't let go. He let go and took on the form of a man. Not just the form of a man. He was born with animals. Where else would a lamb be born? Now, I used to keep sheep. And you know where they would give birth? On the coldest night... On the farthest corner from the barn. That's just the way they did. Okay? Goats were smarter. They figured out how to get in the barn. But there's Jesus. He said uh, in Philippians, Paul writes this. it says, Who, being God, did not consider that God form to be something to be used to his own advantage. He gave up all that. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That's what happened on Christmas. It wasn't a card exchange. It wasn't a candle service. It wasn't Santa Claus. It was God the Son gave up everything for me and you. And being found in appearances of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on. I mentioned the other evening that I just finished the book of Deuteronomy as my systematic reading. And all through that book, it says, if you do this, you're going to get stoned. And if you do that, you're going to get stoned. And if you disobey your parents, you're going to get stoned. If you're guilty of adultery, you're going to get stoned. But if you hang from a tree, cursed is every man who hangs from the tree. That's the only time crucifixion is mentioned in that whole five books. Isn't God smart? He humbled himself to be obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, I'm ready to die for Jesus, but I hope if they do it, it's quick and painless, like a bullet or guillotine or something like that. But don't let me get eaten by sharks. Don't put bamboo up my fingernails. Don't do any of those kinds of things. But for Jesus, the Bible says, by his stripes, we are healed. And they didn't count to 39 and quit. And they weren't love taps. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. By the way, in our Sunday school, we're going through the book of Hebrews, and we covered this verse just last week. By his, oh, by his suffering, he learned obedience. Now, if I said to James, I want you to jump in the car, we're going to go get an ice cream cone, that's an easy thing to obey, right? Yeah. If I said, James, I'm going to drop you off at the corner, they're going to beat you up, and then you're going to die. You're not going to jump out of the car right away, are you? No. I'm no, because I you your phone, I want to call mom, and I don't want to call 911, and then they're going to put you in, in jail, Dad. God, granddad. He learned obedience. Through suffering. And once made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation. All those people we talked about. Abel and Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Balaam. And all those people. The Bible says without the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sins. The Bible says it's not by the blood of bullocks but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Those people had to be put in a holding pen waiting for that perfection to come. And when Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. At one point, Jesus said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In the crucifixion scene where it says he laid his head, it's the exact same verb. The only place for him to lay his head was as far down as it can droop as he died there for my sins and the sins of the whole world. He became the source of of eternal salvation so what happened on Christmas when the set time had fully come King James says the fullness of time in the fullness of time when the set time had fully come God sent his son Born of a woman, born under the law. The set time. When Daniel saw that statue, he saw Nebuchadnezzar. He saw the Medes and the Persians. He saw the Greeks. And when the Greeks got on board, they put in a common language that people understood from Spain to India. And then when the Romans came on board, they put in roads And they put together what they called the Peace of Rome. Which meant, if you don't behave yourself, you're going to die. But it was peace nonetheless. All that was put in place so that Caesar Augustus can say, I want the whole Roman world to be taxed. And so that messenger ran on those Roman roads with an edict written in the Greeks Greek to tell the people not just in India, but all the way down to Egypt and all the way over to Cilicia. And they even ran over into the Roman Empire, the the United Kingdom. It's called Britain at the time. That you go to your hometown to be taxed. So while this is going on. Okay, Mary visits Elizabeth. Elizabeth has her baby. Gabriel visits Mary. Mary is getting bigger and bigger. And she has to make the trip to Bethlehem. Just in time to have all the hotels full. And she goes to the stable. In the fullness of time. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God incarnate, is given birth in a smelly stable. I remember one time I went to Bush Gardens. And they had those Clydesdale horses. And some lady, she had to be a city slicker. She walks in behind me and she says, you can tell there are horses in here. And I'm thinking, that's the sweetest hay I've ever smelled. I had no smell of a horse. And she's, you can tell a horse lives in here. I didn't know anybody lived in there. It was such a special place. But I don't think that was the stable where Jesus was born. To redeem those under the law. Now the Jewish people say the Jewish people were under the law. The Bible tells us that if you're not under the law, there's a law unto itself. Where each of us, the Bible says, man is without excuse. So what happened on Christmas? In the fullness of time, here comes this baby. The baby came to redeem us that we might have an adoption of sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Father. You go over to Israel, if there's a little kid looking for his dad, he'll say, Abba, Abba. Now, that does not mean that I can pray to God and say, hey, Dad. That's not the point. When the Bible says that we can go, King James, boldly unto the throne of grace, that doesn't mean sassy. It means confident. It means I can go to him in confidence that whatever I ask of him, according to his will, he'll give it. James tells us, you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. We need to learn how to pray. If this little guy says, Papa, I want a shotgun for Christmas. I'm planning on getting him a shotgun someday, but not this Christmas. He's not ready for it. So don't ask. Good man. Good man. You can ask all you want, and I'm not your dad. I'm your bad father, but we're on good speaking terms. Okay. The fullness of time. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. He fulfilled the promise made to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they, they, and they realized they were naked. God's walking through the garden in the cool of the day and he says, "Where are you, Adam?" He says, "I'm naked." Who told you you're naked? Nobody had to tell him, right? There's nobody else there to tell him. They knew. They had the knowledge of the good and the evil. Okay. We're talking about the fullness of time. He fulfilled the promise made to Adam and Eve that he was going to crush his head. He fulfilled the promise to Abraham that all nations will be blessed. He fulfilled the promise to David that there was going to be a king who was going to sit on his throne. The first time he came, he wore a crown of thorns. The second time he comes, he's going to have a diadem and a rod of iron, a scepter of iron. He fulfilled the prophecies like the big ones to Isaiah. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He fulfilled the tiny prophecies where Micah said it's going to be over there in Bethlehem. When those magi came and they went to Herod and he said, where's that baby going to be born? They found the answer in Micah. He fulfilled all the prophecies when he said it was finished. But on day one, he fulfilled a whole bunch he came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. When Galatians 4 says, In the fullness of time, he was born of a woman, born under the law. It had to be a virgin birth because even the, the uh, completion of the marriage act was considered unclean. So Mary was clean. She wasn't sinless. How do I know she wasn't sinless? Yeah. No, she wasn't sinless, because if you read Luke chapter 1, she prays to her Savior. You to be saved, you have to be lost. He came and tasted every man, it, uh, t- tasted death for every man in the fullness of time. He was an international traveler. Did you know that? Israel is only 90 miles top to bottom, but he was an international traveler. First of all, he came from heaven to Nazareth, to the womb. Then he went from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be in a stable. He went from Bethlehem to Egypt as protection from Herod. Now that wasn't the first time there was anti-Semitism. When Pharaoh said to the Midwives, go and kill every boy baby, that was the devil trying to kill that bloodline of Jesus trying to kill that promise that was made to Adam and Eve. And so he traveled from, Naz- from heaven, to Bethleh- to heaven to Nazareth, to Bethlehem, to Egypt, and then back to Nazareth so he could be called a Nazarene. When Pontius Pilate filled out that sign, it said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, I-N-R-I. See that on different pictures? Latin didn't have a J, so it was an I. Jesus, it's an I. Jesus of Nazareth in Nazareth, King Rex, the Latin is R for Rex. Jews, again there's no J, so they used an I. Henry. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. He traveled back to Nazareth so he could be called a Nazarene. He traveled to Jerusalem, age twelve, to give notice to the scribes. You think those scribes ever ran into a twelve-year-old that was as smart as Jesus? No. Absolutely in a not. Years. Not in a million years. You're exactly right, buddy. He traveled through Israel proclaiming and proving that the fullness of time had come. And he traveled to the cross and then to the tomb. We use the phrase womb to tomb. From womb to doom to tomb, he was born to die. And the Bible says in that manger scene, And Mary pondered these things in her heart. Can you imagine Mary? I didn't know if she witnessed the flogging, but she witnessed the crucifixion. And there's Mary looking up at her son. And there's Jesus looking down at his mom. Where's James, his little brother? Nowhere to be found. You find them first in Acts 15. Jesus says to John the Apostle, John, behold your mother. Mary, John's going to take good care of you. You know, we talk about a a dying man's last request. Mm -hmm. That was the last thing he asked for. Take care of my mom. Mm -hmm. She pondered these things in her heart. We're talking about the fullness of time. Jesus ministered from age 30 to 33. So the question is... Where do we get those numbers? Anybody? Where do we get those numbers? 30 and 33. We'll start with the easy one. 33. We can't get 33 unless you have 30. So what what, the easiest one is. Where do you get the three? He had to keep the law. And the law said you had to go to Jerusalem every Passover. And... There are three Passovers in the Gospels. So he ministered for three years. You with me? Okay. So where do we get the 30? First of all, the book of Numbers says that the Levites don't begin to serve as priests until they're 30 years old. They had an early retirement package because they could retire at 50. The fighting men didn't retire till sixty. They had an early. They must have worked for the government. A the theocracy. But then in Luke, we read, "What did I do?" Well, that's where I wanted to get. Verse twenty-three. We're going to talk about the baptism when we break or after break. But Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. So that's about as detailed as I can get as far as setting numbers is concerned. There is a phrase in Daniel that talks about the 70 weeks of Daniel. And they try to come up with, how do you get from here to there to the other place? And I scratch my head because we can't even agree on what day the first of the year is. You know, the Chinese say it's one thing and, and the, the, the Jews have a lunar year and prophecy is 360 years and not 365 years. So I, I can't sink my teeth into that yet. But I know he lived 30 years with mom and then he lived 33 years with everybody else. So let's break and we'll be back at 720. No, no, that's half, first half. Okay. It's a good thing we took a break because now I remember why I had that set of verses in the middle. Jesus goes to be baptized. That's when he begins his ministry. That's verse 23. And John the Baptist says to him, I should be baptized of you. And Jesus said, go ahead and baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? When Aaron prepared that first high priest, he washed him, baptism, and he anointed him. Now, oil in scripture is always a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So when you see that set of verses in the middle... Now, when all the people were baptized and when John, Jesus, also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. There's a theophany, but that was his anointing. He was washed, he was anointed, and that fulfilled all righteousness so that he could start moving towards the full office of the high priest. I'm back to Hebrews again, where he died for my sins Once for all. And then we have a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There was another time when we heard the phrase, this is my beloved son coming out of heaven. Who knows what that was all about? When was that second time when you hear this is my beloved son? I'll give you a hint. Peter was there. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John go up there, and Peter says, and there's Jesus, not in this full glorified, because those guys would be all dead. There's Jesus, there's Moses, there's Elijah, and Peter says, we should be building some lean-tos up here. And the voice of heaven says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Peter hush. And that's just the character of Peter. He was always first. So, where did Jesus begin his ministry and what happened next? I just covered what the answer was in the first part. Where did Jesus begin his ministry? The baptism, right? The Bible says that uh, John was baptized in Beth because there was much water there. Immersion. I'll get on that and off that. What happens next? He was baptized. What's the next thing that happens? Well, the dove, and then what happens after the dove? The temptations, temptations, that's exactly right. Now, there are different personalities that each of the uh, evangelists were trying to bring out. The personality that Matthew was trying to bring out was Christ the King. So the phrase there says that Jesus was led of the Spirit into temptation. Mark's gospel was trying to portray Jesus as the servant, and it says that Jesus was driven by the Spirit, just like driving an ox. John's gospel doesn't record the temptation. You have the synoptics. They saw all the same things, synoptic. And then you had John. John's gospel didn't record it because he's showing Jesus as God. And so there's different kinds of Uh, different kinds of entries into this thing. So what happens next is the temptations and that's where the devil made me do it. Who's that guy? Kay, you're too young to know who that is. That's Flip Wilson, sure. The hint is the devil made me do it. That was his big line, right? And sometimes he would dress up as Geraldine. That's back when comedians were funny. They weren't lewd and they weren't political. They were funny. And we could laugh at ourselves. The best humor has a little bit of truth in it. The best humor is when I laugh at myself. Okay, so the devil made me do it. How was Jesus tempted? First round, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Second round, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. He was on the pinnacle of the temple. Now, the pinnacle of temple wasn't the top of the temple building. The pinnacle of the temple was, there was the temple mount, and there was Solomon's colonnade, and from the temple mount and the colonnade, it was several hundred feet drop to the Kidron Valley. So when he was on the pinnacle of the temple, that's what they're talking about. Not 40, 50 feet, but three or 400 feet. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. And then comes the third temptation. All this I give you if you will bow down and worship me. Now, what what phrase is missing? Temptation 3 verses 1 and 2. It's an easy one. If you're the son of God. Well, the reason it's missing in the third one is if Jesus is the son of God, he's got no business bowing down to Satan. I'll give you Satan. The Bible says you are the liar and the father of lies and the truth is not in you. I'll give you what I don't have to give if you bow down and worship me. And so you see, number one, stone's. The lust of the flesh. You see number two, the pride of life. I'm not going to hurt myself. three, the lust of the eyes. I'll show you all these kingdoms. And I'll give all these kingdoms to you. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of the life. The Bible says this is all that's in the world. How did Jesus respond? Or so? Well, let's first of all do the why. We just did how was Jesus tempted. Why was Jesus tempted? We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's every way. And you can take any one of those and break them down into all the other stuff. Whether it's pornography or running around in your head or whatever it is, it all comes back to those three. He was tempted in every way. Now let me tell you something. If the pastor on Sunday morning gets a little bit long, my stomach's talking to me and it goes, Whoa. I can't imagine forty days. My stomach would stop talking, I think. I don't know how he did it. He is God, but he's the God man. More remarkable is Moses did it for 80 days. He was on Sinai. He did it 40 days. He comes down. He had to go back up. And it was another 40 days. That 80-year-old did it for 80 days. Had nothing on Marie Osmond. Let's go. How did Jesus defend himself? With the Word. That's exactly right. Verse 4, right after verse 3. It is written... It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God that comes to Deuteronomy. Verse 7, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You know what that means? It means I've got no business driving my motorcycle 140 miles an hour. Those days are gone. I still have the motorcycle. I haven't had it on the road for about four years now. But if it were miraculously roadworthy, I wouldn't be going that fast. Unless you have one, you've got no business going that fast either. (laughs) And then once again, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only say well I don't have any graven image at my house I've got a motorcycle I've got a television
1: I've got an iPhone
0: <laughs> we, I've got self that's the United States we're guilty of secular humanism we put self on the, on the pedestal worship the Lord your God and serve him only so we're talking about the devil made me do it in fact Jesus 30 times said, it is written. And you can't stop with the 30 times because he's the word. Everything he says is written. So we did Christmas. We did devil made me do it. Now we're going to do what time is it? And don't look at the clock in the back because that's not what we're talking about. What time is it? We're talking about the fullness of time. So Jesus comes out of the temptation. And the very first thing you see him do is he's handpicking his disciples. And then he takes them all and he says, we're going to go to a wedding party. And Mary says to Jesus, they're running out of wine. And Jesus says, woman. Why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And her response is the same response to us. She said to the steward and to the servants, do whatever he tells you. You know, there's a great epitaph of Joshua. The Bible says he did all things that were commanded him. I haven't done all things that were commanded me. Paul said, I'm guilty of the blood of all men. And he says, I'm innocent of the same on me. I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Well, I'm guilty. Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. So then we go to John 4. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. This is his brothers. And his brothers didn't believe in him. They were talking to him with sarcasm. They say, if you're the Messiah... Go on down to Jerusalem, show yourself off, because public figures don't do things in secret. And his response? My power has not yet come. The time has not yet come. What time is it? Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. No, that's not what we're talking about. You missed that part, buddy. Yes, you know me. Again, he's talking to his brothers. Yes, you know me. And you know where I'm from. They grew up together. Can you imagine poor James and his, the next one down the name was Jude? Why can't you be like your big brother? I don't think Mary said that. <laughs> and Mary never had to say, You're the oldest, you should know better, because he did know better. He knew best. Did he know where I'm from? I'm not here on my own, but he who sent me, Christmas, Christ sent. He who sent me is true, and you do not know him, but I know him because I'm from him, and he sent me, Christmas. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Christmas. And then we go to the next chapter. He spoke these words while teaching the temple area near the, place, near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one sees him yet because his time had not yet come. Now that temple court can get full. And they, they, it's now the temple court that's part of the Dome of the Rock, and they say that on their high days, you could put 60,000 people on that floor. Now, if you've got the Pharisees and the temple guards, they could easily surround Jesus and then weed out the other people and then they have him. But his hour had not yet come. But now we come to the scene of the Last Supper. Jesus spent the prior Sunday Hosanna to the Son of David. He had dinner in Bethany. He came back every time, back and forth. One time his disciples, they're coming back. <laughs> Ever seen pictures of the Temple Mount, those huge rocks that make up the foundation? And this is in Mark's Gospel. They were marveling at the rocks, and Jesus said, the time will come when one rock will not be sitting on top of the other. It was just before the Passover feast. They had their last supper room set up. And he says, the time had come to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. What was the full extent of his love? Jesus, how much do you love me? He showed them, and then he died. The full extent of his love. The full extent of Abraham's love. He was willing to give his son. All he had. Father, the time has come. This is his prayer, again, at the Last Supper feast. The the time has come. Glorify your Son, so your Son may glorify you. And then it really, really comes down. What is time? It's a continuum. But he says, the hour. The hour came right down. The hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then that clock is ticking, and Judas comes. And he sells Jesus for 30 pieces, another prophecy fulfilled. And he kisses Jesus and another prophecy fulfilled. And he gets flogged and another prophecy is fulfilled. And you read through Psalm 22 and you read through Isaiah 53 and step by step by step that clock is ticking, ticking, ticking. And then noontime comes on Friday and the world goes dark. Yet in thy dark streets Shineth the everlasting light, the light was about to go out the man 's side was about to go out, and the last three hours Jesus spent on that cross in complete darkness until finally at three pm it is finished. the hour came so now we we'll 're going to the next step it 's a miracle. Uh, You ever find yourself saying something like that? You've heard somebody say, it's a miracle. There's another word that we use that has kind of cheapened the word. That's the word awesome. You say, oh, that's awesome. Right? I guess it started when the military started bombing and they talk about shock and awe. God is awesome. I mean, my grandkids are wonderful, but God is awesome. say, well, to see a baby born is a miracle. Well, that's a natural phenomenon. we can say it's a miracle. You can say that baby's an angel, but the baby's not an angel. We're created a little lower than angels, but when we receive Jesus, we can sing the song of the redeemed. The angels can't sing the song of the redeemed. The angels can't call him savior. They can just call him king. So he looked at them and said, "With man, this is impossible." but not with God. All things are possible with God. So we're going to talk about miracles. Remember, we're doing the entire chronology of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ in an hour and a half. Why did Jesus perform miracles? So they would believe. Okay, why else? Because he loved them. Okay, another idea. These are all good. Another idea. To glorify God, you see right up, all things are possible with God. When he performed a miracle, he's proving that he was God. Remember the paralytic? He says to the paralytic, take up thy bed and walk. And the Pharisees, of course, they're saying, who can say that? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, go and sin no more. So, he performed miracles to prove he was God. He performed miracles to fulfill prophecy. He performed miracles to draw people to him. And he performed miracles to meet people's needs. You no, know, Jesus never went to a funeral. Well, he showed up at Jairus' house, but it didn't end up being a funeral. He showed up at Lazarus' house four days late. And he turned the clock with Lazarus' body back. He met the needs of his people. So let's take a look at this, alright? Now, I don't expect you to read that. I pulled that all together so that whenever I want to find something about Driver's daughter, I can go to that list, click on that red, and I have the scripture. That's for me. But the list keeps going. You can't read the rest of it. Who's that guy on the left? The guy on the right is Jesus in the right, and the river is the Jordan, and we already read from Luke's Gospel. That's John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What went through his mind to go from that quote to this quote? He says, he sent his disciples, he was in prison, he sent his disciples to ask, Are you the one that is to come, or should we expect someone else? Behold the Lamb of God. Are you really the Lamb of God? What went through his mind? It's the big D word, doubt. I don't know about you, but I've doubted. How do you resolve doubt? With truth. Where do you find truth? Thy word is truth. Pontius Pilate had Jesus, and Pontius Pilate says, What is truth? Well, let's think about that. What is truth? Well, he examined Jesus and he said, I find no fault in him. That was true. He had the Jews saying, We have no king but Caesar, and if you don't kill him, you're not a friend. Caesar. There was a political truth there. You had his wife who said the night before, says, don't fool with that man. Now, you might think this is a stretch. But Pontius Pilate wrote that sign, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And the Pharisees went to him and said, you should have said, he said he was King of the Jews. And Pontius Pilate's response was, What I've written, I have written. In my mind, he didn't care that they went and gone and reported to Caesar. He didn't care what those things thought. He met the king of the Jews. I find no fault in him at all. But there's poor John. Behold the Lamb of God, and he was used as an instrument to fulfill all righteousness, to wash the high priest. And then because he held true to his word, and he said to Herod, what you're doing is the wrong thing to do to have his brother's wife. And he had to give his head for it. And there he is in prison wondering, is it worth it? Is this guy really the king of the Jews? How did Jesus respond to John's question. So he replied to the messenger, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now we can go through each and every one of those And come up with the examples. I can go back a few clicks and hyperlink and we have the scriptures. But let's take a look at those things. But first I want to ask you a question. Most of those, except the third one, the fourth is a subset to the third one, most of those have references, prophecies. Why does number three, those who have leprosy are cleansed, have no prophecy? It never happened. You see those names? Moses had leprosy. God told him to put his hand inside of his jacket and pull it out, and it was white with leprosy. He said, I put it back in, and it came out clean. Miriam had leprosy because she challenged the leadership of Moses, and she said, I want to turn. Imagine she's 86 years old. She was 86 years old when they crossed the Red Sea. And she's dancing around with a tambourine. You can do it. You're 91. (laughs) Um, uh, If I had a tambourine, I'd bring it in for you tomorrow and give us a show. (laughs) There's a tambourine up there. Okay, Mary, you're on. (laughs) She challenged Moses' leadership. And God put her out of the camp for a week to think about with leprosy. Naaman had leprosy. That word Naaman means good old boy. He was a good old boy with those Assyrians up in Damascus, they said, but he had leprosy. And his maid slave says, I know a man who can take care of your problems. And he goes and he visits the prophet, and the prophet says, Just go jump in the Jordan seven times and you're going to be healed. Well, he was upset about that. And his servant said, Why are you upset? The man said, "Wash and be clean." He said, "What's wrong with the rivers of Damascus?" But servant could have said, "Well, you're here. You might as well do your thing." So there he does. One, two. Can you imagine number six and comes up. And he's still white with leopards. He's going down number seven. And when he comes up, healed. That was that one miracle. That Jesus said to the lepers, "Go and show yourself to the high priest." Mm-hmm. Why? Because you're lepersi, you were not allowed in the that That's what the law said, and the law also said you have to go to the high priest to be declared clean. But of all the study those guys did. And they had the law for 1,500 years. They never had a case where a leper came back and said, declare me clean. Should have been a huge clue to the high priest that something very special is going on. We're going to do that uh, first one in a little bit more detail. The blind receiving sight. But the best one is that the good news was being proclaimed. The man born blind. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, were they judging? Everybody go like this. Okay. Okay. One of the symptoms of a sexually transmitted disease is blindness. And sometimes syphilis could be passed on to the baby, and blindness could pass on to the baby. And so syphilis is not a new disease. And so they're saying, was he blind because of his sins or the sins of his parents? And Jesus says, Aah. remember family feud? Aah. He says, neither this man nor his parents, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life has a work of God been displayed in your life that's a trick question okay because you can say the word of the work of God has been displayed has, has been worked in my heart but is it on display are you an undercover Christian the one who only reveals his true identity under pressure or do people know that you've met the Lord you hope. I hope so too. I love you, Mary. We're jumping down a few, a few bars, and you know what happens? Jesus gets a hold of that blind man, and he takes some mud and he rubs it on his eyes, and he says, "Go down to the pool of Siloam, which means said Christmas. Go down to the pool of and and wash your eyes." And so he goes and he washes his eyes, and he can see. Now that pool wasn't over in the Sahara somewhere. It was in Jerusalem. And there were people everywhere, and he was a beggar. If you've been to Jerusalem, they have beggars everywhere. He was a beggar. And all the people, see this guy, he was born blind, he's now a man. But the problem was, it happened on the Sabbath. Some of the Pharisees says, they say... This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. You know, on a different occasion, they they challenged Jesus about the Sabbath, and he said, which one of you, if your animal falls in the well, you wait for Sunday to pull it out? No, if he falls in on Saturday, you're going to pull him out on Saturday. This man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. Here's a grown man, born blind, jumping around... You know, you can do anything to me, but don't mess with my eyes. If something is going to come at you, what do you protect the most? Your eyes. And God refers to Israel as the apple of his eye. That's the very, very center, the most precious thing, the one thing that you protect the most. So here's this man, born blind, full grown, and he can see. Jump down some more. But now he can see. Or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He's of age. This is the parents. They said, he's of age. Ask him. And they wouldn't answer because they were afraid they were going to be thrown out out of the synagogue. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. So then they ask the man. And he says, It's amazing. You guys call yourselves the teachers of Israel and you don't know about this stuff? He said, God only, God does not answer sinners. But there's one thing I do know. I once was blind, but now I see. Comes from a song, Amazing Grace. Who wrote the song, Amazing Grace? John Newton, what did he do before he wrote that song? He was a slave trader. And he went to Parliament, and he testified of how those that slaves were laying head to feet to head to feet. No bathroom, no fresh air, nothing. They happened to die overboard. It makes the boat lighter. I once was blind, but now I see. He was one of the key things that causes abolition to take root. I once was blind, but now I see. He said, he saved a wretch like me. So the question becomes, what's the one thing that you know? He says, the blind the man now can see says, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. What do you know? One thing I know, the Bible says we've passed from death to life because we love each other. If somebody said, John, the high point of your week is to teach Sunday school. And the best week of your summer is to teach vacation Bible school. I would have said to that person, you are crazy. I know I've passed from death to life because I love my brothers and my sisters. I love this Mary too. (laughs) I know I've passed from death to life because we love each other. This is Job. I know that I've been saved. And I know that I'm going to see my king. And Job knew the same thing. He says, I know that my redeemer liveth. And in the end, he'll stand on the earth. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, but before that new earth is born, there's going to be this millennial kingdom. We'll be covering that in two nights. He said, in the end, he'll be standing on the earth, and yea, though the skin robes destroy my body, yet in my flesh I will see God. He says, I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, and my heart yearns within me. Does your heart yearn? If not, you need a tune-up. I know my Redeemer liveth. I know that he's my Savior. Bob Jones would say, I know that I know that I know. But these are written that ye may believe. These are written that ye may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. So now we're going to talk about Lord meets Lord. So we got a little interesting typing going on over there. Okay, Lord meets Lord. Lord, Yahweh. And we talked about in the Old Testament, the convention was whenever the Hebrew word was Yahweh and they translated it to English, they translated it Lord, all caps, L-O-R-D, and that referred to the Yahweh. In the example I used a couple nights ago, I was saying that Potiphar was the Lord over Joseph, but he wasn't the Yahweh over Joseph. He was a slave owner. He was a supervisor, but he wasn't Yahweh. In the New Testament, we're not seeing the word Yahweh anymore. We're seeing the word Kyrios. Anybody that was raised Catholic, there are One section of the Catholic Mass that's in Greek. Everything else went Latin and it all went, then it all went English. Curia eleison, Christa eleison. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. So when you see the word Lord, Kyrios, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord meets Lord. What do you mean by that, John? Matthew 16. Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Some say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. So then Jesus really homes in and he says, Hey Pete, who do you say that I am? Notice, I am. It, he was. This was written in Greek, but he was speaking in Hebrew. Who do you say Yahweh? Question mark. Who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Greek word, Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you. He said, I am the bread of life. I've got four minutes. Oh, we're just going to go a little bit long. Because they're going to go a little bit long, too. He said, I'm the bread of life. He said that after he fed 5,000 and the people wanted to come back and make him king, not because they wanted eternal life, but king because they wanted a free meal. So Jesus said to him, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you will have no life in you. And their response was, this is a hard saying. Who can know it? And many other people left. But he said, I am the bread of life. Bread is a picture of the word in scriptures. Yahweh, bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. He said that right after this woman was taken in adultery. They loved the darkness because their deeds were evil. hopes and fears of all the years in thy dark street shineth. The woman was taken in adultery. She was given a death sentence. Those guys knew that the, the, the law of Moses said, if you're guilty of adultery, you'll be stoned. And there they are with the stones. And I love the way the King James says it. King James says, has no man accused you? NIV says no one. Now here's the reason. And the woman in King James says, No man, Lord, keep in mind this is Jesus' gospel, uh, John's gospel Neither condemn I you. No man has condemned you, and God's not condemning you. Go and sin no more. So now we don't know anything about this lady. She, we don't know if she was a married lady cheating on her husband. We don't know if she was a prostitute. We don't know anything about her. But maybe we can assume that she took God's admonition and she went and she cleaned up the act. Can you imagine, maybe she starts a family and she says, let me tell you about Jesus. She was under a death sentence. So was I. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said, I am the light of the world. The light that came into the world that lights everybody. No man has an excuse. Yahweh, light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. He said, the thief has come to steal and to destroy. He talked about a sheep coat where they would have either rocks or thorns. And the shepherd would lie right there to keep the sheep in and keep the wolf out. He said, I am the door. Acts chapter 12, when Peter was in prison, there wasn't an earthquake like what happened with Paul in Philippi, but the Bible said, and the gate opened. I am the door. In Revelation chapter 3, the Bible says, Lo, I stand at the door and knock. And if you open the door, I'll come and sup with you. Yahweh, the door. He said, I am the good shepherd. Yahweh, the good shepherd. My sheep know me and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. They're in my hand, and I am in my Father's hand, and I and my Father are one. I am the Good Shepherd. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. There's Mary and Martha. And there's Lazarus. Dead for four days. You know what the word Mary means, don't you? Bitter. You know what the word Martha means, don't you? Bitter. <laughs> you got a double dose. <laughs> Miriam, Old Testament, means bitter. In the book of Ruth, Naomi says, Call me no longer Naomi, which means pleasant, but Kari Mara, bitter. Here are these two sisters. They fed Jesus. They sat at the feet of Jesus. They begged Jesus to come. And here he shows up late. And maybe they were bitter. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And Mary says, I know he'll be raised at the last day. And Jesus said, Yeah, though you die, yet shall he live. And then he went over to that grave and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And on his way over, they said, don't go over there. he stinketh. Let me tell you something. My father was a funeral director, and I can tell you that the smell of decaying human is the worst thing that I have ever smelled. We one time got this farmer whose barn burned down, and he was in the barn, and they didn't find him for a couple of days. And when they found him and we picked him up, his his skin would crack. And he stunk. Don't go over there. He stinketh. Lazarus, come forth. You know, the Bible doesn't record any words of Lazarus. But the people came from Jerusalem. Bethany wasn't far. It was just down through the Kidron Valley past the Garden of Gethsemane up to the Mount of Olives and there was Bethany. The people came from Bethany to see this guy. They saw that this guy was given life. I like to think that people can see Jesus in your life. He said, I am the resurrection and life. Thomas, and this is going to be the last one because tomorrow we're going to talk about the post-resurrection Jesus. Jesus said, where I go, you can't come. And Thomas said, how can we come? We don't know the way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The very first night we said, Moses knew the ways of the Lord. Moses knew Jesus. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And we're going to quit right there.